You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. Before we begin, if you enjoy listening to the shows and we really enjoy recording them, take a moment and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. It's free. And while you're there, leave us a review. With that in mind, a few thank yous to those of you who have left recent reviews, including Karemba, Tyler Ross, and Dog Lover IN. That's uppercase. We figure it's Indiana. Thank you so much for your kind words. Other big news, the B&H Photo Podcast landing page is up and running. Our entire catalog of past shows are all a click away. You can find our landing page at bnhphoto.com slash explorer slash podcast. And Explorer is E-X-P-L-O-R-A. We're from New York. We spell it the way we say it. Also, if you can't get enough, <laughs> you like that, huh? <laughs> also, if you can't get enough of us, I should also mention that John Harris, Jason Tables, and myself all write product reviews and other photo-related articles for B&H Explorer, which can be found on the B&H Photo homepage. Okay, here we go. Uh, to start off, Al's Gearhead Pick of the Week. We have a Fujifilm GF670. Now, get this. This is an out-of-production folding rangefinder camera that shoots 6x6 and 6x7 format film. Perfect for travel and day tripping. Measures only 2.5 inches when folded up. Uses 120 and 220 film, which you can no longer even get. 120 you can get. It has an 80 millimeter normal lens. The reason why we have them is because somebody was poking around behind the dumpster or the garage behind the Fuji factory and found crates of them. So now all of a sudden we have these wonderful classic folders. There you have it. We can call... um Dick Haviland to get the 220. Oh, yeah. That, that's right. That's you know right. what? Yeah, that's right. We do have a source for 220. Yeah. Call us after the show. We'll make that's arrangements. And that's check right. our episode on respool and reuse. That's right. Yeah. Respooling film. Yeah, that's yeah. right. A recent but show. But Alan, day tripping? What the hell's day tripping? We'll talk later. <laughs> we'll talk later. It's like day drinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All righty. Here we go. Um, Today's episode, we're going to be talking about long-term documentary projects, specifically those tied to social issues. The dedication and rigor of a long-term documentary apply just as much to any long-term project, regardless of the subject. There's persistence in the face of an uphill task, constant reevaluation of the worth of your project, experimentation with technique and gear, not to mention financing and logistical coordination. And if you're dealing with human subjects, you need the skills to gain trust and the ability to communicate effectively with others. We're fortunate to be joined by two guests who are both in the midst of just such a project, Sawan Jorge and Griselda San Martin. Griselda is a documentary photographer who covers issues with immigration and identity and portrays groups of people that don't fall within the stereotypes we often have on such issues. Her work has appeared in the New York Times and Huffington Post, amongst other publications. One of her series that John particularly likes is about a girls' flag football team called Las Delfinas. 
Another is on a deported father and his daughter who meet every month at the border wall in Tijuana, where he plays his guitar and sings to her. Currently, she's working on a project about American service members, veterans, who are suffering from PTSD as a result of their service, have gotten into trouble with the law, and as a result, have been deported to the country of their origin. Welcome back, Griselda. Good to see you again. You're doing a lot of traveling uh, uh, in, in places that you have a lot of hauling to do. What kind of equipment are you bringing around? I imagine you're trying to be conscious of the weight factor and logistics of carrying stuff around. Have you gotten your, your since you started this project, have you narrowed down your, your pack a little bit to more efficient equipment? Well, yes, I've learned some things. But uh, <laughs> basically, I just try to to carry just what I really need, like basically two bodies mm-hmm. and two lenses i usually i usually shoot photo with a 35 millimeter and video i try to use that same lens but sometimes i use a zoom lens mm-hmm. i use a canon 5d mark 3 mm-hmm. and uh 6d by my old camera okay. as a backup camera backup. all right and the lens choice is 35 you mentioned and your zoom the Zoom is an old one that I have. I actually I don't use it that much. I try not to use <laughs> it. Super minimal. But sometimes. It, yeah. uh, so you really have streamlined your gear down to the most basic I ho- essential. I I love my fifty millimeters. <laughs> yeah. But I think. Um, but you see, because of the spaces that I, sometimes I'm in very small spaces, the fifty is limits. It's very limited. So I I I switch to thirty five. And wider is no good for you. Mm, the distortion sometimes. Gotcha. Okay, <laughs> thirty-five is palatable. Yeah. Alrighty. And also, al- always I I carry my uh, audio recorder and microphone because I it's difficult to do both video and photo at the same time. But sometimes I can just go back wherever I'm staying and get the the other gear. So I try to carry it with me. Now, you, you have two projects you're working on. The first project had to do with the veterans. Is that correct? And that took you to the wall project. That's correct. Okay. So going back to the veterans, was that initially still and then became video? And where was your priority? The veterans project is mainly video, and I'm working with two other uh, people. Did it's, it evolve into a video or did it start? It started as video. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. And we've obviously taken also, we've done photography, but Mm -hmm. it's mainly video because it's a very complicated subject and we, it's, it's about the law, it's about the people. There's so many things in this that we thought video was a better uh, way to, to tell this story. Can I jump in on that? Do you feel that, that the still photography has a limit then? I mean, do you feel that you can't tell? Everything you want to? It depends. Uh, I think it depends on the story. For the for my wall project, I started doing photography and I met this uh, Jose, who's the main character of my video, in, I think it was May. And then two months after, I was back in Tijuana just to with the idea of doing a video. So basically the month of July 2016, I was working on the video. Of course, I was taking photos at the same time, but but not at the same time. But um, I was my focus was the this video story. I had it all in my head. So, now, you know, 
doing stills and video, as any wedding photographer can tell you, <laughs> uh, can be pretty complex, and and it splits your your focus. And I, I I would assume that the kind of work you're doing, you really have to stay focused and stay with the moment. You're really working on the fly without a script. And jumping from video to stills can be jarring to the whole process. It throws everything off. Have you played around with screen grabs at all, getting still images from video? Because I know there are some pretty good options out there right now where you can just shoot video and then pull a decent still, at least for online use, out of that. Have you played with that or considered it at all? I, I've had to because I've been asked to 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 provide some uh, high resolution uh, images from my video gotcha but I, I don't like to I, I prefer to focus on one either video or photography and you're doing both you're shooting all of this stuff by yourself or do you have another camera person with you you, you this is all yours right and it depends on it depends on the project for the veterans we're a team of three ah okay and are you the director in this case, or are you working three independently and trying to put something together? No, we're working all together, uh -huh. but we do many different things, all of us. Okay. Two of us are more focused on the visual part of the story, and we have a writer, too. I see. Okay. And how long has that project been going on? Four years. That's the long one. That's what do you, the one do, you, do you see an end to her. either of these yet, or... or, or where, where do you stand with them? Because again, these are long-term projects and we, we've had shows with this and discussions on the past and determining when it's okay to put the camera down and move on is, a, is, is not easy at times. Where, where do you stand right now? It's very difficult. It's, <laughs> we've had times where we've said, okay, let's finish it now. We have a lot of uh, material. We have a lot of footage. Let's Let's stop. And then the next day something happens. And yep. it's, no, we can't stop right now. <laughs> right now it's impossible. We have to continue for a little bit, see what's going to happen in the few months, in the next few months. Yeah. And, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult for the wall project. I thought it was over, but now it keeps coming back. Keeps dragging in. it back in. <laughs> yeah. Now, how often are you returning? Because you're you're based in New York now, is that yes. correct? Okay, so, and, and everything that you're, well, your projects are far away from here. So how often are you hitting both of these locations? So I was in Tijuana last year many times and for several weeks each time. And was uh, this something you were just financing out of your own pocket? That was mostly? my next question, yeah. You don't have to give specifics, but you know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I found ways to spend very little money, especially in Mexico. It's a lot easier than in New York. Uh, but yes, it's, um, it's, it's difficult because there's many things that I would like to do that I don't do because I'm limited by the financial. So this is a work of passion for you. Yes. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I wish we could show everybody your expression when you said yes just now. Your expression alone said so, yes. But with the, with the wall project, it, you said it, you were working on it for several months before you found your character. And it, did that bring it to a whole new life once you knew you kind of had this person that would be a focus? Or was that something you kind of realized later? The, the moment I heard him singing, mm. I, I knew I wanted to do a video about this person okay. because I thought it was very representative and symbolic. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, it's completely different. I think it's, it's the same story or the same issue, but it's very different. But in the months leading up to that, did you say, where am I going with this project? What am I doing here many times and, and kept going back with the hopes of finding something or was it incrementally getting more and more uh, valuable to you, worthwhile? 
So at the beginning, I was uh, go. I found this place, and I basically was going to cover other events, not the families m- meeting or visiting. And I, I was, I didn't really see at the beginning that that was gonna be my, my or oh, a project that I would spend so much time uh, working on. But I, many many times, I would just go there and talk to the people. No, no, not a single photo. Just talk to the people who were in this Mexico side, also talking to the people through the wall to experience what what it feels like. I mean, I can I cannot even I don't want to say that I can feel what they feel. It's impossible. They 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 are separated by a wall from their family members. That's not my situation. But um, I wanted to see what it feels like standing in front of a wall and just I, I've. I've, I've, I never had done that before. Maybe just to so. clarify to some people that, you know, we'll link your, your site so people can check out. But, you know, in Tijuana and San Diego, there is a wall. And it's a wall that you, you, you can only reach your fingertips through, from what I understand, through your photos, right? Yes, it's, yeah. it's, it's the U.S.-Mexico border wall. It's the, the end of it. And um, there is an area in, in, in this wall called Friendship Park. Mm-hmm. And... That's a place, it's the only officially established uh, meeting place along the U.S.-Mexico border. So on the on the Mexico side, there is no uh, control, no, no police, nothing. But on the U.S. side, there's the border patrol controlling and there is a second fence. So the families are only allowed to stay there for a few hours on Saturday and Sunday. So that limited a lot my my time to work on this project. I could only be there four hours on Saturday and Sunday. That's it. And I had to wait until the next weekend. So that mm. was uh, complicated. Yeah, yeah. Well, but uh, yes, there is, a, there is a wall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, the other project that you have going on with the veterans, this is about, about people who have served in the United States Armed Forces who were born elsewhere, came in, have green cards, were here legally, joined the armed forces, fought overseas for the U.S., and were injured in one manner. It could be psychological, could be physical, or both. These guys come back from battle and, like many, many uh, service men and women, suffer from PTSD. And some of these people also get into trouble of all sorts. So the individuals that you are talking about are those who came back, had problems, got into trouble, weren't dealing with it well, were incarcerated for X amount of time, and on upon release, because of the rules and regulations of being a member of this country, if you break certain rules, you're, you're, you're out. Who are the subjects you're following? Like, did you find, did you vet different people and find that these were the ones you wanted to follow their story, or is it an overall thing? We're following a lot of people right now. Okay. We, we still have to decide who we're going to focus on at the end. But, but yes, we're following a lot. So okay. this is in, these, in are inter, these are internationally located. These are veterans now all over the, the planet, really, who are here. Yes. And actually, not all of them were in combat. And not all of them went to war. Yeah, and also many of, these, many of these veterans came here as children with their parents. Can we jump to the idea of um, how you gain trust of these people, you know, the people you're dealing with. Uh, obviously, their situations are tenuous. Uh, they may not want their situation known. They may want to remain anonymous. Uh, but and obviously, your, they've already gone through a lot of stress. Yeah, but it's your job to kind of get their story out. How do, how do you do that? I mean, that's a tough question, but... 
of course, there's there's people who don't want to talk in every project I've done, but in many cases, they they do want to talk because they've been ignored for so long, and they basically they're banished from their con- the country that they think it that they consider their country because they grew up here. All their family members are here. They their kids, so they want to tell their stories. Most of them, some of them don't to gain trust. I think it's in in our case in this project. In well, I think in in all the projects I've I've done is just time spending time. And just being, just telling them what, why we're doing this. Or one thing that happens with long-term projects is that sometimes my the subjects get a little confused with us being there all the time and coming back and coming back, and they they don't know if we're reporters, if we're friends, if we're what we're doing, why don't we publish anything yet? Yeah, you know? yeah. I would imagine there is a good deal, a, a certain degree of suspicion. Yeah, but that gets back um, to how you you get past that and how you establish the, the trust. and It's, yeah, it's always fluid, I guess. But we try to, we, we, I mean, we, we say, I, I always say, if I see that the conversation is going somewhere that it should not go because I should not be there, I just say, you know, of course, I hear things that maybe they would never tell to a, um, I don't know, CNN reporter with a microphone. But I'm just right there Anything sitting. Anything you'd like to share? <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm just joking. I mean, it's. You no, know, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Also, is it that's that's, that's because there's a trust, possibly, too. That obviously, they're not going to let this stuff slip if they don't trust you. And. How can you sometimes, when people don't know what you're really up to, how can you explain, even if you don't know it, the end goal? You know, how can you explain, or do you feel the need to explain? No, like, I this always is what explain from the beginning that I'm doing a project about this subject, mm. and the that's subject why I want to talk to you. That's why I'm here. But of course, you start the conversation, and you're sitting down having coffee, maybe, and it's very different to have a microphone that says. Univision, well, sorry, (laughs) CNN, Fox News, Channel 5, (laughs) it's different, they they look at you different and they they tell you different different things that they will not tell to a... What what led you to this project? I mean, was it something that you thought about or did you just happen to meet somebody or did you hear a story? The The veterans? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was uh, in Colorado doing my my master's in journalism Uh and I... I heard about uh, two brothers in Colorado Springs who were facing deportation and they were Vietnam veterans. So I thought that was impossible. How can you serve? How can you be in Vietnam fighting for the U.S. and then face deportation? That was very shocking to me. So uh, um, I started with with these two brothers and that le- that led us to Tijuana with I also uh, one of my partners in this project uh, she studied with me in Colorado mm-hmm. and she was also doing a project about uh, the military military veterans and uh, we just joined forces and we went to Tijuana now would you consider yourself uh, an advocate for the the people you photograph I'm not an activist mm-hmm. but I I work on subjects that I find are important, important to me and important to for people to know, mm. especially things that 
many people ignore right. or don't have never no heard. Lot, right. Not because they don't they don't care, but they, because they've never heard. Is that a really important aspect of it? Let's say let's say there's a story that you were interested in, but it was a well known story. Would you pass? Would you look to something else? I mean, we're talking years of your life invested into something, so these are big decisions. I don't know. I'm, I I I would I would not say I would I will pass. Right. I it, it has to be something that I care about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to invest that many time. Yes. Let's say you there's something you come across uh, an event, an action, a, a character who doesn't kind of fit within the narrative. Somebody whose actions you can't be okay with. But do you? How do you handle that? Do you follow That's the story? Question. Do you? Do you stick with that? Do you just exclude it? I from don't have a, an idea from the beginning of what I want to say with my projects. I just let things happen. And of course, there's going to be things that don't fit the story. But if it's part of the story, I include that. Mm -hmm. Even if it's... But I, 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 I'm trying... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a journalist, so I'm trying to be objective and unbiased. I just don't want to tell one side of the story. There's... People who don't agree with this, of course, I want to include that in my project. And you can, do you see a difference between a journalist and a documentarian? Well, yes. I, I would like to call myself a documentarian because of the length and the depth of the projects that I work on. But I'm a photojournalist too, a journalist. Yeah. It's, stories. I think it's the, the ethics... Not because you're a documentarian, you don't have to follow the, the ethical uh, rules of journalism. That's what I think. We're going to take a short break and we're going to come back with Saul and Jorge. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at bhphotovideo, hashtag bhphotopodcast. We are back. We are now being joined by Solomon Georges, who has shot for the Washington Post, The Intercept, and is currently a staff photographer for the Detroit Free Press. Solomon covers politics, issues of the day, and all of the things a staff photographer shoots from U.S. Marines at Paris Island to college football to Rolling Stones and Iggy Pop concerts at the famed Fox Theater. But he also keeps a close eye on the immigrant communities in Michigan as the subject of a long-term project on immigrants and the life they lead in Dearborn and Detroit. Solon knows personally of this subject as he arrived to Michigan as an immigrant just 12 years ago. With his family, he left Iraq during the first Gulf War, living for six years as a refugee in Syria without the eligibility to even attend school. But in 2004, his family emigrated to the U.S., where he began high school and started on his path to becoming a photographer. Welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. It's Thank like, you. It's really good stuff. Can I just jump in real quick to ask, from high school to photographer, what uh, what was in between? And when did you start uh, shooting? Well, uh, in between, I went to a community college. Um, I didn't, I wasn't, my plan wasn't to do photography, then... Um, they had a student show and I walked past that. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, you know, something clicked in there. And I was like, uh, maybe I should give photography a shot. I mean, I always like to paint, and uh, but I wasn't a great painter. I'll throw that out there. <laughs> but, uh, but I always like, you know, love nature where I grew up in Syria. I grew up outside Damascus and um, it was like um, a Christian Orthodox monastery. 
Uh, I live there with my family, and um, it's it's just beautiful nature, and we were surrounded by olive trees, and uh, that's why I end up I was doing there, just uh, taking care of those olive trees. So I was I spent a lot of time in nature. So um, it just I always wanted to do um, something with um, you know. As soon as I saw the student show, I was like thought maybe maybe I should try to do photography. And did you kind of have a were you good at it right away? I mean, did you did you know you had a touch or what? Well, I think what helped me first to start, uh, I took um, I took a class um, with a really amazing uh, teacher. His name is Rob Kangas at the Oakland Community College uh, in Royal Oak, Michigan, and uh, we started just doing film. I didn't do any digital for like a year. I was just doing film photography, and I think that kind of. We you kinda, actually learned photography. That means, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so it, it's kind of underappreciated. Uh, it's kind of sad. I think it's just um, when you learn film, then jump to dig- digital. You you're really going to be good at it. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. And then from from there to photojournalism and and news photography. Did it? Did you go through the steps that everybody goes through? Art, you know, abstract art and landscape <laughs> and pictures of your friends, and then you found out what you wanted to do. This is so weird. You're not going to believe it. So in 2010, um, I decided to join my, a friend who is from Italy to go to Montana to participate in uh, a little, little big horn battlefield Indian war reenactment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like for me, this is Did like, you know like that? No. no idea. Then. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to book tickets right after the show. If yeah. you want to join us. Yeah. <laughs> so, so for me, it was kind of like, um, like kind of exploring America for me, it was totally new. I've never, I've never met Native Americans in my life. I've never, um, I've never knew a lot about the history of, like you know, the Civil War and the Indian War. I mean, I learned a little bit in high school and college, but you know, it's it's this is like firsthand experience. Right. <laughs> so, um, so along the way, I picked up a book by uh, Edward. Edward Curtis, oh, and, yeah, Curtis yeah. and I fell in love with portrait photography at that time and how we explore all the Native American um, tribes. And I kept looking through that and we drove from Michigan to Montana. So it was like oh, days classic. of drive. Right. <laughs> so I, I was, I started doing a little bit more like portrait and documentary work, but what really, like what really made me to jump to photojournalism in 2012 my first cousin, who was in, um, still living in New York, and he was just at work, and he was killed by a terrorist group uh, who were targeting Christians, Iraqis. And at that time, the, um, they weren't known by ISIS, like now they're known by ISIS. So um, when he was killed, and uh, that first day when we gathered with a family at home, and I had just a, a Fuji point and shoot, uh, I started taking some pictures. And then I looked at it, and it's like, huh, there's something... Um, there are really stories need to be told so people know like what it takes for these for, for us refugees to come here. We risk our life, you know, to um, mm-hmm. to to come to this country for you know better future. And those photos that you're talking about were they just of your family and and gathering and and hearing the news and and suffering, or did you go out to the community around you? Well, at first it was just the family, mm-hmm. and then um, and then later I started taking trips to Dearborn, and then uh, asking them questions and kind of hearing the story. Mm-hmm. the f- The family project is kind of is going to be kind of part of my long term project later. Mm-hmm. Published this 
the family project nothing been published yet uh but um some of my refugees in dearborn and in mid to detroit have been published how did you first get a connection to uh the newspapers because you work for the washington post intercept and, and now you're a staff photographer with the with the free press um did yeah. you approach you them with some job? pictures <laughs> you had you had you get that well, also by the way just a little uh, uh a little a little aside if you wanted to have more of a detailed background on the expansion of the American West, I suggest you see Blazing Saddles, a very good movie by <laughs> Mel Brooks. It'll give you a uh, little bit of historical background. But uh, better, no, getting, no back, <laughs> getting back to it, how did, you, how did you start working with newspapers? Uh, well, just to stay there uh, about the movies, when I was uh, <laughs> traveling through, <laughs> traveling, I think we stopped in, uh, I think it was Wyoming, and there was this call, this place called 1880s Town. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> when I went there, we, they had the prop from the actual movie of Dancing, uh, uh, Dancing with Wolves. Uh-huh. And oh, it, yeah. it was, yeah, it was very fascinating for me this because my friend told me, if you want to go watch this movie before you go on the trip. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going there expecting to see like, you know, stuff like the movie, but of course not. Yeah. So <laughs> that's funny. Um, um, go- going back to the, how I got into the news, um, we had a, a present. I was in one of uh, see, see after Oakland Community College. Um, I was looking to go to a photography school, but then I just thought about it. I would decided to do just just journalism degree. So I ended up going to Oakland University. That's also in Rochester Hills, Michigan. And with my photography skills, I wanted to learn how to write to be a kind of better uh, storyteller. I decided to go to Oakland University. So I did journalism degree there. And one of uh, the class presentation, they had a um, a free press uh, photographer, and then um, I was showing them some of my work after the presentation, and uh, they decided to to ask me to come down just to kind of uh, meet the director of photography there, and then they decided to uh, hire me as a freelancer, and that's how I started. So after I finished school, uh, they offered me an internship. And I asked my friend, his name is Joshua Lout. You probably guys know him, a great photographer from Chicago. Um, he helped me connect with the New York Times and the Washington Post. And in these two months, I was I got uh, like about eight assignments from Washington Post, uh, two assignments from New York Times. And I was on the front pages of both papers. And I think that kind of helped me mm, to yeah, uh, yeah. my paper to... <laughs> <laughs> kind of like you know offering me a job i'd say so um, and were these yeah. were, were these photos you're talking about were they all shot in the detroit area yeah i did i did a really awesome assignment that was like still my one of my favorite it was when um the city of hamtramck become a muslim majority mm. so the washington post hired me to do a um uh, it was a three-day shoot and then just to kind of show the city where Hamtramck used to be mainly Polish and ended up on Sunday's front page. So it was like, that was my first big accomplishment. I was very happy with that. So you're constantly kind of working on documenting your community. Is that fair to say? And within that, you're doing the assignments that you get. And with, with, with that in mind, I guess we want to ask you about the the long form and, and, you know, how you stick with it and why you stick with it. But my first question is, you know, you need to be as a journalist as objective as possible, and but yet you're also working a long-form documentary where there's room for a personal point of view. Um, how do you balance those? I mean, are there times where you just put one hat on or the other, or are you kind of always doing them at the same time? Well, not, nowadays, you know, uh, newspapers, um, 
I know they don't have as much time I, like before, like they used to give you like weeks to go do an assignment or, you know, even National Geographic, for example, it doesn't, not all assignments are like you can go spend a couple months nowadays. Or Everything a couple is, of years. It, That's all history. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's so, hit and run really. Yeah. So newspapers are the same. I mean, a lot of, a lot of assignments, um, I do it's like maybe in one day or two days, uh, except one assignment where I like, I found the family was, uh, documents Sudanese refugees. Um, the reason why it took, uh, I was able to work on it longer is because I did a film with that as well. So, uh -huh. you know, when you do photo and video, you can kind of get that expansion to shoot maybe for a week or a month. But during that time, I was doing other assignments as well. It was like when you have time, you can go work with this family. Uh, speaking of my long-term project, I'm very fortunate to live in Michigan. And, and we have the large, one of the largest Middle Eastern community here. So uh, for me, it's just like driving maybe 15 minutes and being in Dearborn or like 10 minutes by my house, I can meet the largest Christian community, Chaldeans community around here. And Dearborn is the largest Muslim community. So whenever, like on my days off, I usually go there. Whenever, like before my assignment, before my shift, I usually stop by there to kind of explore and meet families and talk to refugees. And have you found certain subjects, certain people that you return to to kind of follow their story? Or are you always kind of, uh, are you trying to keep it as wide as possible? Well, before I was kind of like all over the place. I was photographing a lot of the surface in the community. Like, for example, just like fo focusing on just what's happening and outside in the community, but not really getting like focusing on a family or mm -hmm. two. So at the moment, I'm working with few families um, that I think they have a great story. Is the story their lives as immigrants? Is that kind of the basis of the story, or are there individual ideas within each family that are going to come out, or you're just waiting to see? Uh, well, part of it is it's basically the, the American dream, if you want to say like that's the terminology everybody uses. Mm -hmm. Is um, you know coming here as an immigrant, uh, and how do you balance yourself uh, where you live? like maybe half of your life as an American and the other half when you come back home as a Middle Eastern, mm -hmm. or how do you, how are you, how are you as an Arabic American living in the United States and as well as other refugees where they, um, um, seeking refugee here, trying to get the green card. And, um, you know, some of them are fighting to get the green card. Uh, but now with, with the new immigration policies, they're going through a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's very crucial time right now for a lot of the refugees in the Middle East. And okay. and they're trying to come here and the middle and the refugees here from Middle East that they're trying to stay and make a better future for their kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, is it fair to say that it's a it's easier for you to do this given that you you know are uh, an immigrant and you know you're from a community that's related? And do you feel that that makes a difference? I guess that it's obvious that it does. But can you talk a bit about you know gaining the trust of people and and how you go about that? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's it's easier for me, uh, I'll, and I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. um, with with a Muslim uh, community, um, um, it's not as easy as a male photographer to photograph women. Mm -hmm. And of course, I respect that that's part of their religion and part of uh, you know privacy. So for me, it was really hard to find a family that agrees for me to uh, be everywhere with them and follow them. 
when when I first started doing this project, I spent a lot of time not taking my camera, just going and trying to get stories. It's it's really important to not view or like people I'm working with as a subject because mm-hmm. when you view them as a subject, you 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 fall in this way. You may you may just use them just to get what it, what you want, but for me, it's more of a you know storytelling. So for me, a lot of times, like I just not really shoot a lot of days i take my camera but not really shoot anything i just spend time with the family trying to hear their stories do you routinely enter a project like this without a camera uh, depending on what i'm doing see for my everyday assignment when i when i have yeah, a if you same have three day hours deadline, to get an assignment yeah you can't <laughs> yeah, just sit around same, right <laughs> yeah yeah for me i go like you know um you know tell them who, what i'm doing and what i'm trying to you know achieve what do you say you're trying to achieve um, I usually go until I'm, I'm I'm working on a story like th- about you know for example I'm working a story about Hamitramic and I'm trying to trying to get your thoughts about what like for example the Muslim ban mm-hmm. and I would love to hear your um, you know your opinion and uh, I usually record with my like iPhone just like the like a, to use it for my uh, photo caption like to get a quote or something it's really important to have a quote um, in your photo caption nowadays. It it's kind of bring it gives more li- like you know it gives more life to the picture I feel and credibility sure and uh, yeah focuses yeah. it uh, yeah and and if it's a portrait I'll ask him can I please take a portrait of you afterward and if it's some just documented something I usually get the permission and just let them do their you know whatever they're working on and just uh, kind of move around and uh, work my way out you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's fair to say that your your day to day work can blend pretty easily with with a long term project. Do the people you're photographing know that uh, it's part of a long term project, and you're not exactly sure how it's going to end? Um, the the people that I'm working for the long term project with they they know because they've they've been seeing me since 2014 and they know what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they kind of uh, trust me now and know that they know I'm a, I work for the Detroit Free Press, but they mm-hmm. also what I'm doing with the community is totally different. I, I kind of that's the that's the good thing is to also explain yourself and explain what you're working on at at the beginning, not mm-hmm. like in the middle of you know long term project. Tell them oh well I'm gonna publish part of it and uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Like tomorrow, for example. Right, right. And do you, you share know? images? Do you give back images with in the long term project? Um, the thing that were published already, I went back to the community, and this one of the uh, places I usually go a lot to. It's an Iraqi coffee house. It's one of the only one in Dearborn. When you're inside, you feel like you're in Baghdad. Mm. That's how amazing that place mm-hmm. is. And uh, I usually maybe when when I'm like working in the area, I'll. I stopped by and get a tea, and then uh, I, one time I bought them some prints, and they hang them like on the, in the kitchen area, which is kind of cool. And that was during Ramadan; they were celebrating, cooking this huge meal for all the refugees. Uh-huh. And uh, part of the pictures were already published, so I just went and print a few prints and sent it to them as a thank you. Nice. I, I would imagine that having actual press credentials and working, say, for the the, the Free Press or any major news organization probably makes it easier for you and gives you gives you credibility and less of a suspicion uh, factor of uh, going into these things so i imagine i imagine it works in your favor um not all the time because i mean you got some refugees that don't even know the paper <laughs> they don't i mean they, you got Point some taken, refugees yeah. yeah they got some refugees is they they really focus on getting the news from the middle eastern uh, media you know so um but like when I when I explain to them what I'm working on, they kind of you know 
they, they know the paper. They lay that I'll explain. I work for this paper, but I'm working on this long-term project. And if it's okay for me to follow you and document your life. And, uh, you know, I mean, they, they understand what I'm working on. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and these people, these people, are, when I started going, I was still a student in college when I started first document working with them. So they kind of, like, I, they kind of know my uh, career. <laughs> mm, right, right, yeah. right. Hmm. Let me ask you about the the staff job because, as I'm sure you know, their staff jobs are harder and harder to come by. Um, That's a prize these how, days. How I know, and then the Detroit Free Press is pretty unique in some in some regards. But uh, how big is the the photography department there, and uh, and how do your your photography mates look at you when you say, "Hey, I got a staff job at a newspaper"? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to to get a staff job right after high, you know, mm-hmm. right after college, uh, which is you don't never hear of that, you know. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, um, I've worked with some, you know. I work with some amazing colleagues. They very like as soon as since I was an intern and freelancer, they really helped me grow as a photographer. And I have two amazing uh, photo editors who like without them, I feel like photographers they really need photo editors nowadays because they can really help you make the hard cut on your photos and represent your work the best way possible. And uh, we have about I would say about uh, t- ten to twelve uh, uh, photo. Mm-hmm. And video, okay. you know, staffs. And do you uh, do you and share with your editors the photos that would fall from the fall into the long term project category? Do they look at those? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes because you know how how busy we are with like everyday assignments. Sometimes I do share that with the, with them. Do you do you approach your longer term project, which obviously you've been working on for a while now, differently now that you've been shooting uh, assignment work uh, that again is a little more specific with a tighter framework, tighter parameters. With, uh, when doing everyday assignment, you really got to get the photo as soon as you can. And nowadays, you know, like when I'm like, sometimes I go to assignment at five and the deadline is at six. Mm-hmm. So the way I do it, I, I use, um, you know, wireless cameras and take get the photos that I think will work for the paper. Even if it's front page, I have to get it, get the photo, send it to my phone, caption it fully and send it to the photo desk right away through my phone within like 15 minutes being there. So that's the antithesis of your long-term projects. Yeah, that's like totally different. And that's like, it's a lot of pressure on you uh, to, I mean, I think, I think it kind of helps in your long-term project. You know why? Because, uh, because when you're working on pressure, you have to kind of work and be creative as fast as you can. On your feet, on the fly. Yeah. So, so when you go into a long-term project, you like, you have, you have so much time, so you don't waste time. You know, you use your time very wisely and it kind of plays in the benefit. The the cool thing about the free press is part of the USA Today network. Ah, So, so USA Today network, sometimes they use us. Like for example, they win, like I think last year they sent me to uh, Lorraine, Ohio to do a story about undocumented immigrants um, from Puerto Rico and Mexico. So sometimes I get some cool assignments from the network, but that's not like, that's not like every month. It's very rarely, you know. Mm. Can you uh, tell us what you carry in your bag? What your what your gear is? What what brand? Uh, what so, models? Yeah. What lenses? Sure. So so for work, um, uh, we are we have uh, Canon cameras. I have uh, a Mark III. And a 6D, so I can use the wireless whenever I'm like on deadline. I use that camera more. Uh, uh, I also have a, uh, like we have a pool a C100 Mark II camera for mm-hmm. video because mm-hmm. I shoot video and photo for right, work. Right. 
And um, uh, at the Eddie Adams, uh, they were so nice. Nikon <laughs> gave us a 360 uh, key mission camera. That's right. Uh, I think I'm going to start bringing that to my long-term project as well to shoot a film uh, with the refugees at home. Okay. Uh, that'd be kind of cool. And I could, I could also use it for my uh, work. Uh, lenses, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, at work, we, we can get any lens we, we like. But my favorite lens that I use a lot is the Sigma Art Lens 35 mm-hmm. 4. Yeah. That's like my main lens. Um, I really love that lens. You guys can share a camera bag, you know that? That's great to hear you using and, the Sigma. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but recently, I, I uh, Ed Cashy hooked me up with the uh, Fujifilm, mm-hmm. and I they loaned me a camera for a few months. I sadly had to return it. Uh, it was the, um, uh, the X-Pro2. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they sent it to me with two lenses to use it for my long-term project. And to, t- to be honest with you, I, I just totally fell in love with that camera. You're not it's, alone. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I think like from my personal work, work I'm going to jump to mirrorless because it's just so easier. It's very quiet, especially like if I'm inside a mosque and there's like somebody reading. I mean, it just it just so quiet when using these cameras, and it's so light, and it it, it makes me less, it, it makes me less visible, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's nice. You yeah. blend in a little bit better. I blend in it better. I mean, people sure. think I'm just like, you know, somebody with a point and shoot, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, it, it kind of helps. I'm not trying to like blend in, but I'm, it it just kind of it just kind of makes my work, especially like the the one time I used it, and I really enjoy using it the most when i went to paris island to do the marine story i mean imagine me carrying the c100 doing foam and then having to take photos so if i had like a really big body it would have been really hard so i used that camera for for that assignment and it just made it so much easy for me you did bring up an interesting point though that i think aside from all this makes a big difference that when you're photographing people especially street photography whatever you show up with a full-blown dslr with some monster lens on it's intimidating whereas a lot of the mirrorless cameras are very very unassuming and they look amateur and again when you pick it up and hold it to your eye people don't feel like you're aiming something insidious at them so that that's a really good point real good point i think yeah and um and um you know, when I was the other thing that made me fall in love with that camera, it's when I was, uh, you know, learning film photography. I had a rangefinder, so mm-hmm. with yeah. that camera, it's a rangefinder, and it just kind of it's it's like bringing that memory back for me, and it's digital now, and it just it it makes me like focus more on what's happening than kind of trying to carry my gear around, and you know, like I like saying, your great. gear should be transparent, it should be you and your subject, and that's what that camera yes. does. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Let me ask quick about video because obviously you're you're shooting video and making films, and uh, I saw the Paris Island one. It was great. So, uh, is that something you you want to do more and more, or you're being forced to do it in the sense that it's re- the newspaper is asking you to do it? And and how do you approach uh, one versus the other? Can you do them at the same time? Gear aside, I mean, you're in your headspace. Yeah. Well, here's the thing that not a lot of people know about me. When I started photography, uh, before even using photo camera, I, I started doing film. Mm-hmm. And the way I did that, I worked with a friend of mine who shoots concerts of famous Middle Eastern singers when they come to the U.S. So I was a, a second camera guy with him, so, and I shot film mainly. Like, we did interviews before their concerts. So my background is video before photo. And Ed Cashy kind of brought a really cool point in one of his, uh, you know, classes. It's like nowadays you have to 
really do multimedia pieces because uh, photos sometimes are not enough when you hear the subject of you know talking and the environment you're shooting it and and bring it into the photo it kind of it kind of it's a step up you know to your documentary work my my approach when when going on a like bigger project at the free press is also is always to bring uh my video camera and t- trying to do even if it's a one minute video you kind of do a short film have you gotten to a point yet? And I asked a similar question to Griselda earlier, because um, she also shoots video and still at the same time. Do you ever go for uh, screen grabs? Because uh, a lot of the cameras right now can output a very high quality JPEG still on the fly. Do you ever play around with that at all, or do you still balance? Do you still jump back and forth between still and video? Um, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't really experimented with that a lot. I did it maybe once, but I just, it's just not the same for me, but it also slows you down a lot. If you have, you have to do photo and video. It's That's not why easy. I was asking if you just resort yeah. to screen grabs, which I think yeah. within due time will be the, the norm. I, I think the quality yeah. would be that good. So. Maybe if I'm shooting in 4K. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah That's what it is. Okay, no. mm-hmm. You can now, you yeah. can, well, you can now pull eight. Uh, uh, make files from it, which for uh, newspaper and online work is more than yeah. enough. That's that's pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it depends on the assignment. You know, if mm-hmm. I if I know mm-hmm. I have enough time and I can do it, of course, I'll I'll use my photo and a video. But if I'm like really, you know, it's like a breaking news, for example, or something, I really have to just use a screen grab. I'll probably think about that. <laughs> gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me jump back real quickly. Maybe this will be the, the last question on, on this subject. But uh, regarding the long-form documentary, would you say the subject that you're working on is something that you chose or something that chose you? Kind of a cheesy question. But <laughs> I mean, ba- based, on, uh, <laughs> based on where you are, where you're living, I mean, would you prefer or are you looking forward to covering a long-term project that takes you out of your milieu, out of Detroit and, and into some other totally other subject. And would you, would you approach it in the same way you think? Yeah. The reason why I chose this you know project is just because I came to this country as a refugee. It's basically telling my family story and, and how we struggled to make it in the United States, you know, because it, it wasn't really easy for me and my family to, you know, come a new country. And about 12 years ago, I didn't speak a word in English. So it was for me learning a new language I mean, I had it easy, I think, because I went to school. A lot of people who come a little bit older, they, they really they really struggle to to make it in this country. You know, they just take the you know jobs in the in the back room, for example. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so 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 there's a lot of important stories that like not not a lot of people focus on with the refugees. You know, I mean, okay, they they say they struggle to be here. Do I become fully American or do I become like you know? just stay as an Arabic and living in this country or how do I balance that? It's basically just balancing and, and not living in two li- you know, two worlds basically. Mm-hmm. What would be the end to the long-term project for you? I have two more years and my end is in wrench, um, uh, advanced photography program. Uh, I do have other projects in mind. I really want to do, mm-hmm. um, really cool stuff, but, uh, I think I'm going to wait for them and trying to finish my refugee work first. Mm-hmm. But, but when you are like doing a long-term project and it's in my backyard, for example, here in Detroit, um, I don't think, I don't know if there'll be an ending for that. I mean, these people I'm working with, they're going to be friends for life. It's more about building a relationship with these people, uh, than just using them as a subject and leaving. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's a wrap on another really fine show, at least in my opinion. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, or comments, please email us at podcast at bhphoto.com. Don't forget to check out our homepage. Go to iTunes, sign up if you're not already a subscriber, and leave a review if you feel so inclined. You can also tweet us at bhphotovideo with the hashtag bhphotopodcast. On behalf of John, Jason, and myself, thank you so much for tuning in today.